Would you pray with me now? Gracious God, we thank you for this time of worship, this opportunity to come together and hear your word read, to sing, to pray, to also hear the message that you've placed on my heart to share with all of us this morning. And may your word not come back empty. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I have a question for you this morning. How many of you actually have a hobby, a project, some activity that you do for fun on a regular or semi-regular basis? Raise your hand. Yay, yeah. We've got some folks out there that like to do stuff on a regular basis. I do too. I'm a grandmother of three beautiful granddaughters. Monica, who's 14 now, just turned 14, and Harper and Finley, who will be five, May the 5th, going on 25, if you listen to some of the things that come out of their mouths, for sure. But I love spending time with my granddaughters and with the little ones in particular, because we keep them every Thursday. That's my day off. We are into arts and crafts right now. So whether it's coloring or painting, getting our painting shirts on and doing some painting or making something uh, like this last Thursday, we made uh, hats. We took paper plates and then we took some little hats that we'd use for Annika's birthday party and kind of taped those together and made hats. And well, in the midst of that, they like to play school. And so they take turns being the teacher. And of course, I'm always the student. So I was making my new hat and I was sitting there taping and pulling things together. And I just started talking about it, you know, talking out loud about it. And all of a sudden Harper, who at that time was the teacher, said, Grandmama, you go to time out because you were talking in class. And I had to go to the corner of the room and stay there for like three minutes. Oh, well, that's about the extent of my artistic capabilities, my friends. Speaking of art, I was out on the internet recently and looking at some artwork of the great masters like Michelangelo, Vincent van Gogh, Picasso, and others, and I ran across an article and some of their paintings that just fascinated me. The article that I read said that back in the day, when these great masters were painting, they would often take a canvas, paint a masterpiece, and then later on, maybe some years later, actually paint another masterpiece on top of the original one. I never knew that. And it hasn't been until the last few years that um, technology, infrared technology in particular, has allowed. You see this one by Vincent van Gogh, uh, a patch of grass, and underneath that you can see a portrait of a woman. And that's from Vincent, painted back in the 1800s. Well, I thought about this concept of masterpieces underneath masterpieces as I read and reread the scripture for us from Ephesians 2 today. And I see some puzzled looks on some of your faces. I, that happened at 9 o'clock too. And you maybe say, why? Why are you talking about art pieces and, and masterpieces within masterpieces. Well, 
maybe you weren't listening to the scripture that was being read. <laughs> Perhaps, been there, done that. Um, to the ladies in the group this morning, perhaps you were thinking about, did I leave the curling iron on this morning? Or did I get something out for dinner tonight? Did defrost? Did I turn the crock pot on? Which I did this morning, but I had to go back two or three times to make sure it was plugged in and turned on before I left the house and then the right temperature. I get it. Life is busy, right? So sometimes it takes us a little while and worship to settle down. But at any rate... I want you to know that there is a method to my madness about talking about art this morning because, my friends, you are like that Van Gogh painting. You are like a painting that's a masterpiece because God created you. He didn't create junk. And you're a masterpiece because within you, deep within you, there are other masterpieces ready to be revealed now, let me put all this into context with our scripture for today. If we go back to the beginning of that chapter, chapter two in Ephesians, we hear Paul write to the church of Ephesus that before we knew Jesus Christ as our savior, we were dead people, dead people because of our sinning against God. We did whatever felt good. We let culture at times push us in certain directions. And so we weren't really following the will of God for our lives. Now, Paul was talking about being spiritually dead here. This is not unique just to a few. It's actually our human condition before we come to the realization that we need Christ in our hearts and he needs to be the Lord of our lives. And this passage is talking about that, the way we were, so to speak. However, Paul goes on to say, midway down, God in his compassion loved you and me so much that he brought us to life spiritually, even while we were spiritually dead as a result of all that sinfulness and disobedience that we had against God. Then Paul goes on to say that we are saved by God's grace. We're saved by God's grace. In other words, God is acting first. He gives us the gift of being saved without us working for it. In other words, we can't work our way to heaven. The works, the volunteering, the serving, that doesn't come first. What comes first is we know in our heart that we need Jesus. And we believe that he came to earth and he ministered and he preached and he healed and he went to a cross and he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, believing that with that little bit of faith. That's all we need. He gives us the gift that we are saved. Now, here comes something interesting that I want to park on. Our new spiritual life, God saves us. He finishes this passage by stating that God saves us to do what? Well, we hope to go to heaven one day, right? We don't want to get on the bus right now, but one day we hope to go to heaven. But he saves us for the here and now so that 
we can carry out his will and purpose in our lives. I love Matthew 5, 16, because it says it this way, let your light shine before humanity in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. You see, our good works will display our gratefulness. We do good works, we serve, we volunteer, because we're so grateful for what God has done for us. He saved us. So it's a response to what he has done for us first. I love verse 10 because in one of the translations, it says that we are God's workmanship. And that actually only shows up twice in the New Testament. And the Greek poema, poema, P-O-I-E-M-A is the uh, English way to spell it, poema, workmanship, that only shows up twice, but it has this sense of God's creativity in making us. So we are like that painting that we saw. We are a masterpiece. But in that workmanship, he also goes on to say that God desired, God desired and wanted us to do good works even before we were saved. Well, we know in the Psalms it says that he knew us when we were being knit in our mama's wombs, right? You know that one, a beautiful scripture from Psalms. But this says that he also knew ahead of time the kinds of things that he would like us to do in serving, in doing good works. There's a story of a man who died and went to heaven. When he got there, Jesus was walking him around. Jesus took him into this building that had a great big file cabinet. And in, on that file cabinet, this man saw a drawer that had his name on it. So he said, Jesus, that's got my name on it. What's in that drawer? So Jesus said, I'll show you. And he took the drawer and he started pulling it out and out and out. And it was a long, long drawer. And Jesus said to him, those are the blessings that I was gonna give you if you would have only all the time followed my will, listened to me, because you would have been blessed as you were blessing others. God calls each of us to do his good works. Now here's the thing, he qualifies the called instead of calling the qualified. He qualifies the called instead of calling the qualified. He gives us what we need to do his will. We are a new spiritual creation, his masterpiece, that has the opportunity to do some beautiful good works for him. Here's the reality. When you look across denominations, not just the United Methodist Church, which we are, if you look across denominations across this country, you'll understand an 80-20 rule. What's the 80-20 rule? It means 80% of the ministry that's done in the church is done by 20% of the people. It's kind of a rule of thumb. That's the reality. So, with that said, what stands in the way of people saying yes to doing God's will, to doing God's good works, to volunteering, to serving, when God calls us to do that. Well, I'd like to go through a few of those things with you this morning. First of all, people don't feel they're needed. People go to church all the time, week in and week out. 
They have an incredible experience in worship and in Bible study. And they might say, all of this happens every week without me. What do they need me for? Unless you become involved in serving, whether that's here or somewhere else, you have no idea what it takes to do ministry. It takes people. It takes an army of people to pull things off. And there is such need in so many places to serve. You saw the video a little earlier and you heard from Miss Janice about our program Bridge 1010 for our children. That's just one of many opportunities to volunteer, to mentor, to come alongside, um, to do God's will in serving. And every time you do, you're furthering God's kingdom. I make phone calls for first-time worshipers, and many of you I've probably talked to on the phone from time to time. You have shared with me that when you came here to Mount Horb for the first time, you felt something different. And it started in the parking lot, that you were welcomed by the parking lot team as they helped you get parked. You were welcomed by the welcome team, the red shirts as we lovingly call them, with their smiles and their genuine um, desire to help you find your way to where you needed to go. Even the gift bags that you were either given when you left here on your first worship here, or maybe the gift bags beat you home, hanging on your door. You were just impressed that the church would reach out in that way. Well, that takes people. That's guest services here. And it takes people both out front and behind the scenes to make that kind of touch point happen. All of it furthers God's kingdom. Yes, some people don't feel they're needed, while others think the church staff should do it all. We do have a decent-sized staff here at Mount Horeb, but that's simply unbiblical thinking, my friends, that the church staff or the church pastors should do it all. Well, I'm Faye Stevens, and I'm the pastor of congregational care here. And I'm in my seventh year. It'll be eight years in June for me. And I can tell you right here and right now, confession, Faye Stevens cannot do it all. I can't do it all in congregational care. If it weren't for the volunteers that have signed up to say, Pastor Faye, we want to come alongside you and help. We want to go visit people in the hospital when they're sick or having surgeries or having babies. We want to go see the shut-ins that can no longer come to church. We want to go see them. We want to take them Holy Communion because they won't get it unless we take it to them. We want to help with flower arrangements. We want to send cards. We know there are people grief-stricken. We want to send letters and books and all sorts of things to help you out in congregational care. The same is true for every other ministry here. It takes a lot of people to do it and do it effectively and in a loving, loving way. Take the children's area. We actually need people to rock the babies. A couple of weeks ago, I think we had 21, 25 little little babies in one of the rooms. And one of the things that you do when you volunteer there is you rock the babies. How sweet is that? Mm. 
the 1010 program you've heard. Anywhere you volunteer, I've mentioned it, you're furthering God's kingdom. That little boy that Janice talked about, he's getting Jesus. He got Jesus. He accepted Jesus as his savior because of some of you that have volunteered in that program. You've made a difference. You continue to make a difference. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take a deep breath. Let it out. I don't want anybody to pass out. When you take a breath that's illustrative of coming and worshiping, taking in the gospel, taking in the music and the prayer time, that's so good. It's wonderful, isn't it? Now I want you to take a breath and blow it out. That blowing out is you serving, is you giving back. Why? Not to get to heaven, but because God has given you the gift of saving you, of forgiving you, of saying, I want you to be my follower and I want you to be in ministry with me. And I've got some things I want you to do. Some people live under the misconception that only professional Christians can do ministry. And that's just wrong. While the staff here serve, and I serve in congregational care, but I also work with the children at times. One of my favorite things to do is work with the scouts to help them with God and country badges and those sorts of things. But we all have an opportunity to serve, but we can't do it all. We need volunteers. Some feel they aren't needed. Some think the staff should do all the ministry, and yet others feel that they're not qualified to serve. Many people don't feel qualified or even worthy, worthy to volunteer. They don't feel spiritually worthy, my friends. Hear me. Each of you is created to serve. We are all sinners. None was perfect but Jesus Christ. But he calls all of us and equips us to serve. Some don't feel they're needed. Some think the staff should do the ministry in its entirety. Some don't feel worthy or qualified. But a good number of people are just in a situation, a season of life, where they feel like they've just got too many commitments. Can you get alongside that one? I can. I'm a wife, I'm a mother, and now I'm a grandmother. And I remember the days raising children and how pulled I felt from work, from being the wife, from being the mother, going to the soccer games, going to football, going to cross country, you name it. That takes a lot of energy. So you might say, well, could we just put this off, Pastor Faye, till the kids are out of the house? Then we'll serve. But God doesn't say that in the scripture. He says we're all to serve. Actually, what Mike and I had to do during that period and during that season when we were so busy, we had to take stock. Take stock of our lives and our children's lives. And we had to make some hard decisions. We had to give up some things out there. <laughs> that culture was saying, oh, you got to do this to be successful and yada, yada, yada. What was important? Our children learning about Jesus, 
our being engaged in ministry. So we had to give some things up. We had to change our priorities. There are small groups here that are doing ministry in some creative ways. Let me tell you about two of them. There's one small group here, I won't say which one, that they meet once a week, okay, so four times a month. But one of those weeks, they don't meet as a small group. They, as a small group, come here and use that time to serve in children's ministry. How creative is that? Cool beans, huh? Another small group called me one day and said, Pastor Faye, we'd like to come alongside you for congregational care. I said, really? And we've got an idea. Really? How about telling me about that? What they ended up doing, what they wanted to do and they have done, is when someone gets out of the hospital, let's just say it's a single mom with kids, or a person that has nobody else in the home with them, or it could be a family, they as a group will get together and cook a meal. And then they'll take that meal to that family that because of that sick person, that sick person can't cook. Oh my, how creative. How wonderful. And those are just two examples of how small groups can do ministry and volunteering together. Some don't feel they're needed. Some think the staff should do all the ministry. Some don't feel qualified or worthy. Some are just too committed elsewhere in other ways. And some have a fear of commitment. Have you ever been scared to commit to something? I have. Sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zone. He sure has done that for me and with me in my life. Some people simply are afraid that if they volunteer once, then they're going to be stuck for life doing that. I'm just putting it out there. It's the elephant in the room. They're afraid of making a commitment because they perceive that commitment will never end. Well, there are opportunities, my friends, here for short-term commitments. And I want you to think of it like an interstate. An interstate has an on-ramp and an off-ramp, right? So think about volunteering, going up that on-ramp, getting on the interstate, serving for a little while, seeing if that's the fit, and if that's working, for you right now, fine. If it doesn't, take the off-ramp and try something different. You can experiment around. You're not committed for life. They're easy ons and offs. As I reflect back on my life, I know that it was hard at times, and I know that it's gonna be hard at times to juggle some things, but there's something for all of us to do. We have people that keep the back of these chairs loaded with whatever, a pencil. We have people that are ushers that hand out um, the pew pads where you register. We have people that do data entry here. We have people that stuff envelopes that stuff bulletins with inserts at times. So you don't necessarily have to be out front, but there are many, many, many ways to serve. 
And it's not just while we're living the active part of our lives. There's a lady that is down the street here at Lexington Extended Care. And this lady worshiped here for the first few years that I was here. And then she took ill and she couldn't live in her home any longer. So she um, had to move to Lexington Extended Care. So no longer to use my analogy, she didn't have boots on the ground, so to speak, during, during ministry like she was when she was here. But she had a wheelchair. And so those wheels were on the ground. And she'd ride that wheelchair up and down the hall. And if she saw somebody in need, she'd yell out for a nurse. So-and-so's fallen out of the bed. They need this, that, or the other. But she also shared her story with all that would hear her about what Jesus had done in her life. And she would pray with people down the hallways, in the open um, common areas, in the cafeteria where they ate. Then she fell more ill. And now she's bedridden and she's on oxygen 24 hours a day. Now everybody has to come to her. And so her bed is her sanctuary. Her room is her holy ground. And there is not a person that comes inside her room that she's not ministering to, that she's not serving in some way. Anybody that comes in and prays with her, that's a good thing. She loves it. But you're not going to leave that room until she prays with you. That's serving your whole life, your entire life. I asked her the last time that I was visiting with her how things were going, and she said, well, I gasp for breath a good bit, but as long as I have breath, I'm going to serve my Lord from this bed if anybody has ears to hear it. My husband had a heart attack last July 30th and went to Duke and got something called an LVAD, a left ventricular assist device. I'd never heard of it, but basically it's a pump in a computer and it keeps the left side of his heart going, works on batteries during the day and he plugs into the wall at night. Now I had to be trained on how to take care of my husband's equipment in case of an emergency, in case of a threat of his dying. But he and I were talking the other day and we both agree that what's really important is how we serve the Lord. Although we love serving each other. We'll be married 48 years in June. I love my husband. I'd go to the moon and back for him. He's playing the tuba in the traditional service. I tried to get him not to do it. You're still not strong enough, Mike. That hand goes up. Faye, it's my ministry. I wanna serve the Lord. I wanna serve the Lord. I don't know where you are today. If you're serving, thank you. 
for whatever you're doing for the Lord, wherever you're doing it. But if God's tugging at your heart, don't say no. You might ask, what do I do next, Pastor Faye? I really feel the Lord is tugging at me, tugging at my heart this morning. I heard this passage. I heard what you had to say. Well, you know, I didn't have you taking notes today, did I? I didn't want you to get writer's cramp. Because you see, if you open up your bulletin, there is something written there. What's written there is areas where I will serve. All you got to do, and I'm asking you, is this. Tear it out. If you don't have one, the ushers will give you one. Check off something that you'll do, would you? God wants you to. The scripture said today, you were saved for good works. That's not Pastor Faye saying it. That's the word of God saying it. He's calling you to serve. Not just now, but your whole life. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Thank you for your living word. Thank you for calling us to serve. Thank you for qualifying us to do what you're asking us to do. May we follow and join you in ministry. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.